Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Today is Friday, September 6th, 2019. On this day in 2006, 51-year-old Susan Kuhnhausen was forced to do the unthinkable. She killed a man in self-defense. However, it wasn't a would-be thief or potential rapist that she killed. Instead, it was a hitman sent by her own husband. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Every day, we tell a timely story from true crime history, then analyze the historical impact of that day's events. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today, I'm diving into the harrowing story of Susan Kuhnhausen, now known as Susan Walters. When her divorce grew acrimonious, her medical training saved her life in the least expected way. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Let's go back to the night of September 6, 2006, as Susan was about to leave work in Portland, Oregon. It had been a long and arduous Wednesday at the Providence Portland Medical Center. Though for Susan Kuhnhausen, a nurse of 30 years, every day in the hospital emergency room was long and arduous. Work wasn't the only stressful part of her life. Susan had recently kicked out her husband, Michael, and told him that she intended to file for divorce. She decided to go to the salon after work for a little pick-me-up. New look, new Susan, new life. Once she finished with her hairstylist, Susan finally made her way home. It was a little after 6.30 p.m. when she pulled into the driveway and made her way to the door of her house. Susan was exhausted and ready to fall onto the couch and watch a little television before going to bed. Tomorrow was going to be another long shift. Time to shut the brain off. But when she entered the house, Susan immediately felt something was amiss. It quickly dawned on her, it was too dark. She recalled leaving the curtains open before she left for work. Why were they closed now? Perhaps Michael, her soon-to-be ex-husband, stopped by and closed them. Susan shrugged it off. But no sooner had she come to this conclusion when something suddenly caught the corner of her eye. 
she turned and screamed. Out of the darkness came an imposing figure. He was a strange man, close to six feet tall, with a long beard and long, unkempt hair. She instantly registered that he was wearing yellow dishwashing gloves and carrying a red and black hammer. This wasn't a robbery. She knew right away that this man was here for one thing, to kill her. Within seconds of spotting her assassin, Susan felt a sharp, hard pain explode across her left temple as the hammer made contact. Then she felt it again and again. Terror ran through her as the hammer continued to fall, but she didn't want to die. Not now, not today. This was not the end of her story. Mustering all the strength she had left in her, Susan managed to overpower the long-haired assassin and wrestled the hammer out of his hand. She slammed the claw side of the hammer into his head, sending him to the ground. Then she pounced on top of him and continued to whack him three, four more times. Who sent you here? She screamed. Who sent you here? Blood splattered across the floor and wall. Who sent you here? Miraculously, the assassin managed to knock the hammer out of Susan's hand. When she lost her only weapon, Susan instinctively wrapped her hands around the assassin's throat. As a nurse in Portland, she was educated in self-defense, a precaution when dealing with drug addicts or those suffering from mental illness. She never thought she would have to put these skills into action. She was trained to save lives, not take them. But she also wasn't going to let this man take hers. Susan didn't loosen her grip. She knew that if she did, if she gave this man an ounce of the chance, that he would take advantage and kill her. Instead, she tightened her hold, watched as his face turned blue. You're strong, he said as the life escaped him. Spittle flung from her mouth. Her knuckles were bright red. Tears had formed in her eyes. It was almost over, she thought. Just a little bit more. The assassin's body went limp and his breathing stopped. Susan's own breathing slowed down as the adrenaline coursing through her veins subsided. She wiped the spit from her mouth and winced in pain from a cut on her lip. With her heartbeat back to normal and her hands no longer shaking, she finally looked down at the man below her. It was then that the horrifying realization had struck. She had just killed another human being. Up next, we'll explore exactly how Susan found herself fighting for her life. Now back to the story. On September 6, 2006, Portland nurse Susan Kuhnhausen was put into a horrifying life-or-death situation and survived. After strangling her would-be assassin, Susan ran to her neighbor's house and had the neighbor call 911. 
When the police arrived, she was taken to the hospital to have her injuries examined and her cuts cleaned. While Susan was being tended to by some of the same doctors she called co-workers, the police began their investigation. The man who attacked and attempted to kill Susan was a drug addict named Edward Haffey. At the start of their investigation, the police believed that he was attempting to rob her. However, according to Susan, the day after her attack, she and her friend returned to her home to collect some items to take with her as she went into protective custody. When her friend was down in the basement, she discovered a strange-looking backpack that didn't belong to either Susan or Michael. Inside the backpack, they found a pay stub belonging to Edward Haffey and a calendar with Michael's cell phone number and a note that said, Call Mike. It became obvious that there was some sort of link between Susan's assassin and her husband. The police finally acknowledged the incident might not have been a botched robbery, but a coordinated hit. Now they just had to figure out why Susan's former husband would try to have her killed. Susan and Michael had married in December of 1988, 17 years before the attack. Michael was a Vietnam War vet who worked at an adult video store. In the 80s, Susan fell head over heels for the soft-spoken man, believing that she got a good deal on a used car. However, records show that he was a switchboard operator there, and Susan increasingly had doubts that he saw any action. Whatever the actual causes for Michael's mental illness, Susan did her best to help him as he struggled. But after 17 years of trying to help the man she loved and Michael's constant refusal to seek help, Susan had enough. She kicked Michael out of their house and told him that she was going to file for divorce. In the days and months that followed, Michael started stealing money from Susan, who had been the primary provider in the marriage. Michael had recently lost his job at the adult video store, but had kept in touch with a former co-worker, Edward Haffey. Now unemployed as well, Haffey was desperate to make a quick buck. He wasn't a stranger to committing crimes either. Police records showed that he had a rap sheet dating back to the mid-80s, including arranging the murder of an ex-girlfriend in 1991, and he was a crack addict. To Michael, Haffey seemed like the perfect person to commit the murder. Haffey agreed to do it for $50,000. Though Michael wasn't named the beneficiary of Susan's life insurance policy, he was still listed on their already paid off $300,000 house. If Susan were to die, he would inherit it. When Michael heard about the botched hit, he left a suicide note and fled. After a week on the run, he was arrested at Kaiser Sunnyside Medical Center in Clackamas, Oregon. He ultimately pleaded guilty to solicitation to commit aggravated murder. While in court, Michael apologized to Susan. He said, I've heard a lot of people over the last year and I'm sorry. That's all I can say. I'm sorry. In response, Susan burst into laughter, followed by tears. 
Michael was sentenced to 10 years in prison. In 2008, Susan sued Michael for $1 million and won. She wanted to make sure that if Michael got out of prison, he would not have enough money to hire another hitman. To Susan's relief, Michael never got the chance. In June of 2014, Michael died of prostate cancer at the Snake River Correctional Institution in Ontario, Oregon, just a few months before his scheduled September release. When she heard that her ex-husband had died, Susan felt no sadness over the death itself. Instead, she felt sadness over the potential that she and Michael could have had together had he been able to work on his demons. In the years since that fatal day in September 2006, Susan Kuhnhausen, now Susan Walters, has dedicated her life to raising awareness for crime victims. She states that during the trial, she felt well-supported by police and the Department of Justice. However, once Michael was convicted, that support seemed to disappear, and she didn't want that sense of abandonment to fall onto others. Today, Susan believes that the worst part about the entire ordeal wasn't that her husband hired someone to murder her, but that she was forced to kill. As she said herself, I didn't choose my attacker's death. I choose my life. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Paul Liebeskind, Maggie Admire, and Carly Madden. This episode of Today in True Crime is written by Joe Guerra. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 